drink and I know things. That's what I do. I drink and I know things. Greetings everyone and welcome to the I'm Gonna Need More Wine podcast. Podcast about shit we like and shit we don't like. This is Jocelyn, and with me is my co-host Christine. Hello, darling. It is Chatty Wine Wednesday, and we will be getting into the British television series Fleabag. This is one of the first shows, Jocelyn, that I think you and I watched together for the first time, even though we live in different cities. Yep, it sure is. And it is a good one. Yo, this show definitely had us in our feelings the first time we watched it. Um, So I'm super excited to get into it with you today. But before we do, Jocelyn, please tell the good people what you are sipping on. I am enjoying a cup of lovely black tea today. So going back off brand this week, Christine. Lame. (laughs) I'm judging you. Don't judge me. You don't want to put something in the tea? Make it a hot toddy? Make it a little, a little something, something? No, because I think I need to be functional after this podcast, so (laughs) I'm not going to put anything. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. You're telling me that you are prioritizing life over this podcast? Jocelyn. I know. How dare I? I'm a monster. I'm a monster. How dare you? What are you sitting on? Well, I was planning on making myself a little cup of coffee. It's Sunday morning, y'all, as we record this. Um, So I thought I'd make myself a little coffee and put a little, you know, Portuguese rice milk liqueur in there, but um, decided to just drink the Portuguese rice milk liqueur all by itself. Hey, nothing wrong with that. <laughs> so cheers to you, lady. Woohoo, cheers. Since you're sipping on an adult beverage, why don't you kick us off with the shit you liked this week? Oh my god. So it was hard for me to choose because I feel like so many great things actually happened this week. But I'm going to limit it to the thing that has made me the most excited. And it is the fact that this has been a really good week for streaming devices. So earlier this week, Disney Plus launched. And when I heard about all the things that were going to be in Disney Plus, I signed up for a year subscription right away. I didn't give a shit. I was just like... I love Marvel. I live for Star Wars. You know, I remember so many good feelings about being a child and watching old Disney movies with my dad. And it's just nostalgia in an app. Nice. And I'm, I was super excited for it. So it finally launched this week and I got to watch old movies that I haven't thought of in so long. Like who framed Roger Rabbit? Mm. Like that's, That shit is up there, right? So (laughs) I watched that. Of course, that wasn't the first thing I watched. I went straight to the Star Wars section. And they have Star Wars films in 4K. Oh, wow. So it's it's like seeing Star Wars for the first time. Yeah. Where you feel like you're actually on Tatooine. Like you're actually, I, I watched some of the prequels, so I was on Naboo at one point too. Like it was, it was a brand new, amazing experience. So having Star Wars films in 4K is just a whole, it's a game changer, y'all. It's an absolute game changer. But the best thing, Mm -hmm. the best 
thing, the thing that has gotten me so fucking excited is the new Star Wars television series that they have with Pedro Pascal called The Mandalorian. So Pedro Pascal plays a bounty hunter who looks head to toe just like Boba Fett, right? Mm -hmm. Boba Fett wears Mandalorian clothes, even though he's not really a Mandalorian. He's a um, he's a clone. But anyway, we don't need to go into Boba Fett. Pedro Pascal's The Mandalorian is such a fucking good show, y'all. It is basically a space Western. Think of think of this. Think of the 300 meets any Clint Eastwood movie meets Star Wars. Okay. That's okay. what it's like. So I have a question. Um, I have not started watching it yet. I, I don't know when I'm going to, like, I'm in a, I'm in my cycle of, of well, so I'm, I too is very excited about Disney Plus and then I learned that because I have a Verizon unlimited data plan that I could basically get the first year free. So I was yes! sign me up. And I love the show Recess. And Recess happens to be on Disney Plus. So I have been watching Recess nonstop since I finally downloaded it two two days ago. But I have a question about the Mandalorian. Does Pedro take that helmet off? Do we know? Well, I guess I don't want to get into spoilers, but in terms of what you've seen thus far, has the helmet come off? The helmet has not come off thus far. And, and at the time of this recording, I have only seen the first two episodes. Okay. And that's all that's been released so right. far. So they dropped two episodes the first week, and they'll be dropping a new episode every Friday morning after. Interesting. Yeah. But there's there's a preview of the season. You know, like a trailer for the season and whatnot. And there's a point where it looks as though he's about to take off his helmet in front of someone. Okay. Yeah. But let me tell you, even though he's wearing a helmet the entire time, this man is acting his ass off. Oh. It is so good. You could tell when he's being sarcastic. You could tell when he's upset. You could tell when he's thinking. You could tell when he's incredulous. Like, his body language is so good. And just these slight tilts of the head say so much and the thing is like i said it's kind of like the 300 he's he's a spartan space cowboy he does not say much and fighting is his religion which is why i think of the 300 you know like if he went back in time he would 100 percent be a spartan warrior interesting with like really short quick quips get straight to the point very little dialogue. But he says a lot in the dialogue he drops, you know? So I fucking love him. There is a new, well, they're all new characters, but there is a character introduced at the end of the first episode that legitimately will blow your fucking mind. You will scream, you will holler, you will want this character in your life. And I don't want to spoil it. I'm not going to spoil it for you guys. And even though, Jocelyn, I know you live for spoilers, this is just so good. I'm not going to say anything. Well, let me just ask this question. Because I've seen some discourse about it, of course, on on social media. Is it a tiny character? It's a tiny character. Okay, then I know exactly who you're talking about. And some people are really mad about how that character 
is being referred to. <laughs> and that is the discourse that I happen to stumble upon. And I'm like, let people enjoy their things and call the character what they want right. to call the character. But there are some real diehard gatekeeping truthers who are like, no, it's not this, you know, don't call this character that character's name. And yeah. It's ridiculous, though, because I think the reason why there's so much issue over what to name this character is one the character doesn't have a name right right and two the species of the character doesn't have a name which may be a spoiler for diehard star wars fans so there are there aren't that many there is more than one but there aren't that many star wars characters that you can reference when talking about this species so i could understand why people refer to it by a character's name. Like right. they they incorporate a Star Wars character's name when speaking about this tiny character in The Mandalorian. However, there really isn't much way to describe this character because we don't we don't know anything about it other than it's tiny and cute and adorable and I would lay down my life for it. Yes, it is. I have not watched it, but I have seen that tiny little critter, oh, <laughs> tiny little character all over my timeline and the character is really freaking adorable. So Oh my god, why, I want one. Why spend so much time arguing over what to call this character when you could just be basking in its cuteness? But I mean, people want to be assholes. Yeah. This is what drives Twitter. Indeed. People want to be assholes. And I also want to say that this week Still an amazing week for streaming services. So in addition to Disney Plus dropping, Netflix has a return champion dropping today, November 17th. And that's the third season of The Crown, which I'm obsessed with. I shouldn't be considering that um, the British were my colonizers. However, I fucking love the show. It's so much drama. The, The royal family is so fucking messy. And... Olivia Coleman is in it with Helen Bottom Carter this season. I cannot wait to see these two interact with one another. I love them as actresses. So I'm super excited to binge watch The Crown as soon as possible. Yeah, there is some really amazing picks that are coming out of the press run related to that, uh, featuring those two actresses that are everything. So I hope it's... I hope it's good. I know. I mean, those two, they're not going to disappoint, so. They're not. But, of course, they might have to do a lot with shit writing. But we'll see. I mean, listen, the royal family always provides really good drama in real life. So to see the dramatization of it is probably going to be excellent. Right, right. It's like stick to the source material, please. Exactly. You've got plenty of delicious, salacious stuff there to work with. Yeah, Margaret's a fucking mess. I love her. (laughs) (laughs) All right, girl, that's enough about me. I've gone on and on. Tell me about some amazing shit that you like this week. Okay, so two things very quickly. One, I want to salute the comrade Quilty. For those of you who may have not seen the story in the press, there is this adorable cat named Quilty who is in a you know, pet shelter, I think out of Houston, who got in trouble and basically put in solitary confinement because he was going around 
opening doors and, and um, you know, opening cages and letting cats out. Um, and there is nothing more adorable than, like, the pictures they posted when they put him, like, in solitary confinement because he just has this little look on his face like, what the fuck? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, what the fuck, dude? <laughs> so it was from that moment when I heard that story and I saw this adorable tiny little cat. I was like, okay, Quilty is the goat. I love Quilty. I'm very invested in Quilty. Can I adopt Quilty? Because he can come in my home. And I'm not even a cat person. I have a very complicated relationship with cats and, and would not, under most circumstances, adopt one or have one. But Quilty immediately spoke to my soul. And so, much to my delight, when I looked into his situation just to see where things were, he had already been put on reserve and there was a family that had been doing home visits with him. And last night, they posted a picture of Quilty with his new family. And it was so cute because it's, it's like a, it's a man and his wife and they've got two little boys and the wife and the husband in the picture both have these like bright red vests with little cats that look like Quilty all over the vest, not the vest, the jackets, the blazers that they're wearing. So I'm extremely happy that Comrade Quilty has found a home, and I guess this is also an opportunity to just remind people that if you're considering getting a pet, consider adoption. There's so many adorable little critters out there that need a good home. So it was a lovely story, and I'm glad that it had a happy ending. And I salute Quilty, the comrade who just wanted to free his people. I have two questions for you. Mm-hmm. So one, did you name him Comrade Quilty? Or have they been marketing Quilty as Comrade Quilty since he is very much part of Team Liberation? <laughs> so, no, it's just Quilty. In fact, the pet shelter, had they called him um, the asshole cat. And there's like a whole like, no! line of merchandise. Um, <laughs> like this asshole cat has been letting the other cats loose. Yes. Now people on uh, the social uh. social medias have also been referring to Quilty as a comrade because people of taste and knowledge understand that, like you said, Quilty is is basically a forward thinking kitty in the movement for freedom and liberation. So. <laughs> Abolition. I believe in abolition. Yes. I am on Team Comrade Quilty, man. Okay, yes. and my other question is, I'm going to need you to unpack this complicated relationship that you have with cats. What's that about? Oh, man, I'm just not a cat person. Um, I think they're really adorable. I think that I've had some less than favorable experiences when I go into other people's homes because I think cat people are really like cat people right they love their cats so when the cat is sitting on top of your fucking head or like you know just plants into your lap like while you're trying to eat something you know the owners are always like oh she's so cute and I'm like no I don't want this fucking cat on my goddamn head so that sort of that did not get me off to a very good start with cats and that's not on cats actually that's the that's an issue with their owners um cats dogs any kind of pets I just think that you know be mindful of people's boundaries when they come into your homes not everyone wants your pet crawling all over them but I also think those of us that go into people's homes have to be prepared as well I right. <clears throat> in that particular instance was not prepared for that cat situation so it's kind of caught off guard on multiple levels and Frankly, they're too quiet. Like, if I ever had a cat, that cat would have to have a bell on it because I need to hear where you are and what you're doing. 
I, I, I can't, a cat could easily give me a heart attack because of their ability to quietly maneuver their way into various spaces, and I have a lot of shit in my apartment, so I think it would probably be a very fun place for a cat, but if I ever had one, I'd probably have to put a bell on it just so that I knew, like, where are you? Like, I have a room, I told Christine, that I'm doing some, like, purging, cleaning, and all that, and I literally now have a room of boxes, and um, I think that'd be a field day for a cat to get into all types of tight spaces to ramble through the boxes and all that good stuff. So if I ever had one, I'd, he'd have to have a bell because I can't be, it'd be too scary, right? Like trying to look into these crevices and corners for this little critter and not knowing where they are. And then poof, you pop out and then I have a heart attack. And that's <laughs> how I go out. Like I can't. Um, and I think my family was a, we had several different pets, but in terms of our first big pet, it was a dog. And I don't know if it's a, you know, had we gotten a cat first, I may have been more of a cat-forward person. But since our first, like, big major pet was a dog, I think it just sort of converted me into being more of a dog person. But, mm. I mean, I like the critters either way. I like cats. I like dogs. I don't know that either one of them are for me and for my lifestyle because I know that I'm already a hot mess on my own. And so, you know, obviously, listen, if Comrade Quilty didn't find a home, I was like, I don't know how we're going to do this, but Comrade Quilty's coming home for, with me, and I would have, you know, made a lovely home for Quilty. But that being said, like, sometimes I think, like, huh, do I want a pet? And then I'm like, mm, I don't know. There's some days I come home, and I'm so tired from work, I don't feel like eating. I just go straight to bed, and I'm like, you know, it's going to be really hard to maintain that lifestyle if you've got someone else depending on you, whether it be a child yeah. or a pet. <laughs> so, yeah. I think that makes me less than ideal as a pet owner. So that's my very long, convoluted answer. I think cats are lovely, and cats have protected me on several occasions. Um, I visited someone's What? Oh, yeah, no, no. So I visited someone's home. This person lived outside Atlanta. And when you're in the country, people's homes are going to have bugs. So it's not like this person was dirty. It just... But this person had some huge, like, water bugs and, I don't know, flying roaches that were getting into the house. And I'll never forget one night I was, like, trying to go to sleep. And then there's this huge flying roach that's gotten into the bedroom. And I'm like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? Because I was an adult at that point. And so it's not like I could go wake the person up and be like, um, you got to come kill this bug. But, the, but this woman had a cat. And that cat had been trying to get, I, I was clearly in the cat's room and the cat did not like it. Because every time I would open the door, the cat would just come running into the room. And I felt really bad. Like, I'm so sorry that I've taken your space, but we also can't, like, be in the space together. Because if I go to sleep and I wake up and you're, like, anywhere near my head, I'm going to have a heart attack. Um, so long story short, it occurred to me that that cat could take care of that flying roach. So I opened up the door. I look down the steps. The cat is at the <laughs> at the bottom of the steps looking back up at me like, what, bitch, now you want me to come in? What, what you trying to do? <laughs> that is exactly the vibe and the look that cat gave me. So I was like, okay, um, we're going to stop this stare down. I'm just going to go back into the room. And this is after I've, like, thrown books at the bug. Like, I tried <laughs> to kill it and could not. And then it crawled, like, somewhere that I couldn't get to. So I opened up the door, I walked away from the stairwell after I had the stare down with the cat, 
and then all of a sudden he came up the steps and he kind of like peeked around the corner like I know this is a fucking trap you bitch (laughs) I was like it's not a trap you're welcome here and then I guess the bug must have moved because as soon as the bug moved, I mean, he just went pion, just went straight to it. And I could hear him slapping it and slapping it and slapping it. And finally, he won. And at that point, I decided, you know what? It's our room now, buddy. I could never kick you out after you've saved me from that flying roach because it was a huge flying roach. And, um, yeah, we basically spent the rest of my time in that home together. And that worked out, but I don't think it's something I could do long term. Well, listen, I think everything with the great liberator comrade Quilty worked out for the best with you not taking him or her home. Because I'm pretty sure Quilty would not appreciate having a fucking bell around his neck. I don't think he, I don't think he would like that shit. He is the great liberator. So uh, having a bell around his neck announcing his every step like a shame bell would not <laughs> would not be part of his vibe. I don't think he would like that shit. So um, how about you tell us about shit that you did not like this week? Yes. So um, shit I didn't like. All right. So yesterday it was all in the news. The NFL set up a workout um, in which all the teams were invited. And basically the point was to let everyone see if, if Kaepernick was still in shape, if his arm was still good, and if he's someone who could – you know, be a valuable addition to their team, which we know that because in the years since Kaepernick has not played, I think the last game he played was in 2016, the NFL, several teams have taken just some of the shittiest quarterbacks <laughs> to, to play back up on their bench, which led wow. to, to his allegations of collusion. And it was clear once the NFL made this announcement um that it did not appear to be a good faith effort on their mm. part. Um, there were a lot of leaks um, leading up to Saturday. Um, I mean, first of all, just as a threshold matter, Saturday was a terrible fucking day for the NFL um, because most scouts and the people who are going to be making those kinds of you know decisions about who they're going to put in their team are going to be at the college football games, scouting right. the college players, looking at – there were some major games yesterday in college football. So that was sort of one of many red flags. Typically those workouts are held on a Tuesday because that is the day when a lot of scouts as well as coaches and members of management tend to have the downtime to be able to travel and make themselves available. So it, it was highly suspicious that they would do it on a Saturday. Like I said, it's a huge day for college football it's also saturday which is you know the day before sunday which is just like nfl palooza day that's where you have all of your big games so it just you know it's not likely that is that the teams wouldn't send people but i think the likelihood of them sending people who would not be able to really make any substantive decisions to the workout was very likely so then that led to a whole debate over tape recording the footage um you know the nfl did release a statement and say that there was some back and forth because kaepernick wanted to film the workout the nfl said you know our standard practice is to have us film it we'll give you the raw footage all of that can be provided to the team so that those who don't show up can have access to it so it you know it's sort of that delicate dance and and you're an attorney um you know the things that you're doing when 
you know something's not in, totally in good faith, but mm-hmm. you're but you're trying to sort of give the appearance of good faith. Right. But when you take a really close look at it, you're like, mm, something in the milk ain't clean here. Um, and that's basically, I think, what the situation was here. There was some speculation that the tryout had been at the behest of Jay-Z, who, you know, came under fire a few months ago because of his partnership with the NFL. It's supposed to be this, you know, social justice initiative um, that he did not confer with Colin Kaepernick about or work with him, although he had initially said on the record that he did, and then Kaepernick denied that, so that was just a bad look for him. And then when the program was unveiled, there were just a lot of flaws. I mean, a lot of it was based in merchandise. And so, you know, Jay-Z is saying on the one hand, it's time for us to stop kneeling and do something, you know, and take the next step forward. And then, you know, there's, I think the natural question is, so the next step forward is selling some t-shirts? Okay. And so, and and so then some of the, 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 part of the program was also that, you know, there would be funds given to different community organizations. And so when that list of organizations came out, there was this one organization, I think based out of Illinois, maybe Chicago or right outside of Chicago, where, you know, some people had found their Twitter feed and they had some very questionable rhetoric, to say the very least. Um, One of their big things is when, so they, this organization, I don't even remember the name of, and frankly, I don't even want to sort of elevate their name because I still don't think that they're, I have questions about whether or not they're actually doing helpful work. But one of their big things was that it was important for the young men in their program to come in and get their hair cut off. So a lot of the guys, a lot of these young black men that would come into their program would have locks and and they would cut them off and they posted these videos of them cutting them off and they weren't even like doing them properly. You know, it was, mm. it, it, it just looked rough. Like there's this one video. So one of the faces of the organization is an older white woman. So you also have this dynamic where you've got a video with this older white woman with this young black guy cutting off his locks with what looks like a pair of like scissors that you'd be given in the third grade that are designed to not really cut anything. So, mm. you know, when people called them out, they, you know, tried to push back and course correct. And most of the tweets that they had sort of highlighting some of their troubling beliefs, they're very like pro cop and pro like a lot of respectability politics on their timeline, they kind of, you know, wipe the, the slate clean with that. But that sort of, you know, begged the question about, you know, how much work did Jay-Z put into this? Is this just a cash grab? Are you really trying to affect change? And if you are, why weren't these organizations better vetted? And and why are you sort of taking these digs at Kaepernick? You know he is sort of the face of this movement. And, and so then I think there was a concert that his – new initiative did and rock nation is also taking over the halftime show which that's been interesting as well so i give all of this context just to show how it's just been like a huge shit show and a lot of shenanigans um a lot of sort of smoke and mirrors you know people saying you know kaepernick is a free agent any team that wants to sign him can sign him Mm. but it's like you you know that that's not what it is like he's clearly been chosen as a sacrificial lamp because there are certainly other 
you know, his good friend, Eric Reed, who also kneeled with him, is back in the NFL. It's just that Kaepernick has obviously been picked as the one. Like, you're the one that got too uppity. You're the one that went too far. And so you're the one we're going to make the example of. And publicly, he is also certainly the most divisive and controversial figure. Because obviously there's a very, you know, mixed reaction when someone dares to exercise their freedom of speech to protest injustices um, against police brutality and other other issues that are plaguing um, the community, particularly the black community. So, long story short, that fucking workout was a sham. Um, there have been some stories that have come out since. So, the NFL workout did not go off as planned. Colin Kaepernick ended up staging his own workout at a high school um, outside of Atlanta yesterday. He appears to be in pretty good shape, um, you know, still looking like a very viable option for any team that needs like especially like a good backup quarterback I think he'd be a good fit um but one of the things that came out is that the league asked him to sign a waiver now typically Mm. when athletes do these workouts you do sign a waiver but the waiver is more so about like injury exactly like if you tell your ACL you won't blame us because you did it at this workout that is a standard practice This waiver, however, would have also required him to waive his right to sue if none of the 32 teams decided to pick him up as a quarterback. That seems a little suspicious because we know that this is someone who did, you know, raise collusion allegations. Um, I think they went to arbitration, likely arbitration because there's the union in place there. But long story short, he did back in February settle his initial Um, collusion lawsuit against the NFL there was a confidential settlement agreement you know between the parties so we don't know how much he was actually paid but that's not the end of it right because your settlement is only going to cover any injuries through a certain date so once you reach that settlement agreement if the activity continues if they start if they continue to collude against you being in the league it can be seen as not only further you know collusion it can also be viewed as retaliation Mm -hmm. for you even coming forward with the lawsuit so he still potentially has legal claims that he could bring against the nfl and it looks like this workout was an effort to get him you know like okay satisfy the public you know quiet some of the criticisms that people have made about the fact that he hasn't been given a fair chance, but it also would have given them a nice little quick and easy, dirty way to get him to waive any claims that he may have if he does well at this workout and a team that obviously has a need for a quarterback still doesn't pick him up. He he no longer has the right to say, like, you know, they're not picking me up because I'm not talented. They're not picking me up because I exercise my freedom of speech. Right. So it's just a bad faith effort. Unfortunately, like I said, you know, the NFL has certainly had their talking points and there is no shortage of journalists who are, you know, being critical. I mean, Jason Whitlock is just trash. But of course, you know, he's used this to sort of double down on his criticisms about Kaepernick and Stephen A. Smith 
released this stupid video last night on his social feed, social media feed, basically saying that, you know, Colin just doesn't want to play. And if he doesn't want to play, then, you know, he's been given every chance. And it's just not that black what? and white. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, so- he, he doesn't want to play. That's why he's taken the liberty of doing an entire workout where he sets up the whole fucking thing in order to make sure that he is fairly represented in his ability because he doesn't want to play. Exactly. Exactly. A man who has who's gotten up at the crack of dawn, like for the last three years and continued to do professional level workouts. Right. He doesn't want to play. Sure. It's it's bullshit. Um, so I am so sorry. I've gone on way too long about this issue. But in some fuck the NFL. Um, fuck those protesters who came out to the workout yesterday, the, the whole, you know, you need to stand for the flag, people, you know, fuck them too. Um, I'm still with Cap, and I'm going to be with Cap, and I'm not, I mean, I have the NFL blocked on my social media, because I'm like, I don't want any of your shit on my timeline. I have not, I was never a huge football fan, but, you know, I'd watch the Super Bowl. I would watch some games from time to time. I have not watched a single solitary thing dealing with that league since 2016 or since whenever the last time it is that Kaepernick played. And it's going to be like that forever because I think ultimately what really just grinds my gear so much is that this is a league that would ostracize a young man for wanting to do something that is patriotic, which is, you know, exercising his right to free speech. But this is, Mm -hmm. this is also a league that has protected rapist abusers you know, just really horrible actions by some of the people that play in that league, and they will, you know, cover that up in a heartbeat and let them continue to play. So it's sort of mind-blowing that you will protect assaulters and abusers who are breaking the law, but you can't extend that courtesy to someone who is exercising a right that is fully his and doing so in a respectful way. It's just bullshit. So fuck them. Christine? I'm glad you brought it up because I haven't been able to follow it very closely because like you, I have completely distanced myself from the NFL. But unlike you, I'm a huge NFL fan. Like I grew up watching the Giants and literally my father would disown me if I rooted for the Jets or any other team. So I'm a I'm a Giants fan and it's it's hurt my heart to abandon them because the league is trash. Yeah. These majority white owners literally said you have to be a good negro mm-hmm. and shut your mouth or else like you can't you can't play if you're going to like you said get uppity and speak ill about about the police right and and what is he saying that isn't true it's not like he's going around running telling lies about people or institutions he's not even saying anything he's literally taking a knee anyhow um one of the things that really grinds my gears though is when people appropriate his actions Mm -hmm. so kind of bastardizing the knee taking okay folks forget that he takes a knee in order to call attention to police brutality towards black people right. in this country. Right. I So, again, I live in D.C., y'all. I go to Supreme Court rallies all the time. 
and they bleed together. So I can't remember which one this was for, but it was some Supreme Court argument was happening. And there were folks on the other side there as well. And they started playing the national anthem. So I took a knee. And folks who were with me also decided to take a knee. Mm -hmm. And then I remember very clearly this white woman turned around, saw us, and shouted out, take a knee if you're, and she shouted like, whatever the position was that we were all there to support. I can't remember if it was like a contraception case or oh my we God. were there for like, it was complete. It was, it had absolutely nothing to do with police brutality. Oh, right. Yeah. It had absolutely nothing to do with it. And I was there in support with all these other people. I was there in solidarity with that white woman. However, when she saw me and my friends kneeling, to protest police brutality towards black people, she decided to convert that into support for the side of the Supreme Court case that we were on. And I have seen that time and time and time again. And I shouted out back, like, no, don't do that. Neil, if you are against police brutality towards black people. Yeah, yeah. Like, sis, don't, 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 don't pink pussy hat this situation up. Oh, my God. It was so fucking annoying. And but then everybody started kneeling. And then I was like, do you even know what you're kneeling for? (laughs) No. Do you even know? Anyway, so that's all to say people stop co-opting Kaepernick's mode of protest yeah like if you were with him be with him do that shit be like megan rapino and neil yeah you know, i was like, just about to mention her and say much respect to her for you know reminding people who you know were applauding her for kneeling and reminding people why she kneeled and bringing it back to kaepernick so that is allyship that is how you do it <laughs> yeah no kidding. I mean, she is a she is a white woman with a lot of privilege in this country. And I think she was given an award the other day and she mm-hmm. thanked Kaepernick. Like that was the person that she decided to use her privilege to highlight. Yep. And I really appreciate that about her. So, yes, that is how you do allyship. Christine, tell us about the shit you didn't like this week. So to be honest, y'all, I had a good week. <laughs> um. <laughs> I actually had to crowdsource something that I didn't like. And a friend of mine, um, so shout out to Wukanda, a.k.a. uh, the Knights of the Seven Kingdoms, which is this text group I started. They shared with me a Des Moines Register poll Mm -hmm. that came out this week. And it put Mayor Pete Buttigieg basically in a solid lead. And I was just like, oh, yes, no, this is something that is terrible. (laughs) Thank you for sharing this with me. And it sparked a discussion on the role of Iowa Mm -hmm. in our primaries, in the Democratic primaries. I don't know if all y'all listening are registered Democrats, but the content of this podcast probably tends to lean a little Democrat. So I'm going to assume that you all are. And if you're not, get registered and fucking vote, please. So Iowa is known as, quote unquote, first in the nation. So for both the Democratic and the Republican primaries, Iowa's first. And it sets the tone, honestly, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for the primary. Um, and it's all about managing expectations. 
if you meet expectations, it's kind of fine going into New Hampshire. But if you exceed expectations, like you kind of come out of nowhere. Yeah. That gives you a lot of what we call the big mo, momentum, going into New Hampshire and South Carolina and Nevada. But there's a big problem with Iowa. It's super fucking white, y'all. <laughs> like, it's, y'all, it's 90% white. That is nowhere close to the demographic of America. It's not representative of this country at all. Now, something I do appreciate about Iowans, and I have spent a lot of time there as a former political staffer. Mm -hmm. They take this responsibility very seriously. They kind of consider it their birthright, Mm -hmm. the fact that they're first in the nation. Like, they really do pay attention to the candidates. They're very knowledgeable about their positions and what's going on in this country. And I'm talking about on both sides. Both the Republicans and the Democrats take this shit very seriously. However, like I said, they're not very representative of the country. So there are some issues that Iowans care about, like the price of soybeans, that other folks don't give a shit about. Price of corn, ethanol, all that shit. Like, New Yorkers don't care about that shit. Floridians don't care about that shit. But they are major issues in Iowa. In any case, Mayor Pete is in a solid lead. It's not to say that it's unbreakable, but he's well above the standard deviation from Warren, Sanders, and Biden. Mm -hmm. So again, top four candidates, they're all white. Yeah. Like Julian doesn't even register. Harris is very, very low. Gabbard is very, very low. The fact that she's even coming up at all uh, the fact kind that of she's surprising. still here. It's like, ma'am, go uh, home. Listen, Assad and Russia are, you know, helping her out. So she's still around. Oh, She's still around. But, but Iowa is just, it's so disturbing that we have two predominantly white states, Iowa and New Hampshire, as the first and second states in our primary system where they have extreme power to set the tone of how the primary goes. Because if you get enough momentum in those first two states or the first four, Mm -hmm. that'll carry you through. Yeah, so it's it's really a week to bitch about Iowa itself, but also about caucusing. So Iowa Mm -hmm. isn't even a primary. It's a caucus state, which means on one day and one day only, At Mm -hmm. a certain time and certain place, you have to go and literally stand in front of your neighbors in support of a nominee. So I don't know if any of y'all have ever been to a caucus, but that's that's how it happens. First of all, caucus this year is on a Monday. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the doors open around 630 or so and the caucus starts at 7. Like you have to physically be in this place on a certain night. So that means if you work at a fast food joint and you've got the evening shift or you don't have childcare for that evening and you're a single parent or you you're in a two parent household, but only one of y'all can go to the caucus like you can't you have there's no way of casting a vote. You have to be physically present 
for these certain hours in order to participate. So it's very, very, very limiting who can go. It's, you know, for people for whom mobility is an issue, it can be very difficult to get to your caucus site. Um, so there are disability concerns mm-hmm. in how effective a caucus may be. And also it's not private. Like you actually have to declare with your body who it is you're voting for because you go to that candidate's corner. Right. You go to where, right? And then if that candidate doesn't meet a certain threshold, we call it viability. If you don't get to a minimum number of supporters within your caucus based on the total number of caucus goers, you then have to disband. There is no way that your nominee is going to be able to get any caucus votes. You have to disband and people come and try to convince you to join another candidate. So like in that way, it's a little fun. But at the same time, again, Mobility issues, language issues, and it's not private. So these are these are your neighbors. Iowa is a is not a well populated state. Folks know everyone in their town unless they're in a very big city. But even then, like you're caucusing within your neighborhood. Right. So there can be a lot of shame in who you're trying to support. You know? Yeah. So there are a lot of issues with caucuses. I love the shit out of Iowa. I might be one of the only New Yorkers who goes to Iowa on vacation because <laughs> I just fucking love the people so much. My memory's there. But the caucus system is really problematic and giving Iowa and New Hampshire such incredible power in our primary system with such skewed racial demographics mm-hmm. to me is irresponsible and it helps perpetuate white supremacy. So that's just, that's just how I'm feeling this week. Yeah. And I want to go back uh, and just add something on this stuff with mayor Pete. I, I, cause I know that I audibly groaned when you said that he was in the lead and yeah. I certainly groaned uh, when I read, you know, that he was doing so well there. You know, there has been a lot of discourse, we love that word, um, about, you know, Mayor Pete and the black community. And and frankly, he has not been great on his outreach and the framing of his messaging when it comes to African Americans. And I've seen a lot of bad faith accusations. I have to say, he's got some really super, I mean... A lot of candidates, right, have super aggressive supporters on social media. But one of the things that is a little bit frustrating in terms of what I'm seeing happens is if someone who is black comes forward and expresses some concerns or calls into question or, you know, says something that's not positive about Mayor Pete, then they are met with like this sea of homophobia allegations. Now, is there homophobia in the African American community? Absolutely. And it's also true that the fact that there is a gay man who is a front runner for the Democratic Party in the election is also a historical moment that that we can also acknowledge as as being important and celebrating like both of those things can be true it can also be true that we can be critical of him 
at that criticism that's being leveraged against him by the black community does not necessarily stem from homophobia because that is not what a lot of the criticism is about. It is about certain actions that he took with respect to his police force and, and sort of their treatment, you know, um, in South Bend of the black community there. And I just think that, you know, people need to get a little bit more nuanced and understand that, you know, there's homophobia in any race. I, I just don't like this idea that for black people, you know, that we're getting this broad brush sort of painted across the entire race where where valid critiques that are trying to be communicated are being reduced to, oh, you just don't like him because he's gay. And I have certainly seen very nuanced critiques against him, some, right. you know, from, from all stratospheres in the black community. And there have been some really great pieces, and I'll try to link a few of them in the show notes, that have, you know, have been written by gay black men in particular about, you know, this sort of line of discourse. And, and it just feels like there's this narrative that's being teed up in advance so that if he's not successful and and his lack of success ends up turning on his inability to ultimately connect with, with black voters, it's just going to be reduced to, well, they were homophobic and that's why they didn't get on board. It is way more complicated that than that, and I personally find it insulting, you know, when people sort of, you know, pretend as though we are some group of sheep that just, you know, sort of give in to, you know, our biases and that we can't be nuanced mm -hmm. thinkers and that we can't have, you know, complicated layered thoughts and opinions about candidates you know I saw a lot of this back in 2016 as well in terms of you know Bernie and Hillary and I'm sure that we probably have some listeners that are Bernie Sanders supporters but I, I want to say that some of those same that that kind of insulting behavior where you're sort of framing and thinking about and talking about black people as though they're just stupid and don't know any better and like you know if you knew what was really good for you you would be with bernie you wouldn't support hillary and i and i've seen that very specific discourse girl <laughs> you triggering some ptsd for me and so i don't think people understand even if their intentions are good and even if their candidate actually does have very progressive stances I do wish he had better shepherds sometimes because it is a wildly insulting way to interact with people and I'm starting to see it again um just recently there was there is a coalition of black women who came together and publicly supported um Elizabeth Warren and I mean there are some powerhouse women in this coalition, you know, women that I respect and women who do the fucking work. I mean, on the ground, doing the work. And they came forward and, you know, supported Elizabeth Warren. And I'm starting to see this same line of discourse again where it's like, you know, you just don't know what's right for you. Or somehow you are not smart enough to take the issues under consideration and choose the best candidate in your personal opinion, ultimately, it's a personal decision, right? Um, but instead, it's just, you know, they're lost, they're sheep, they just do, you know, they're just, what is it? 
what is the word that they like to use? It's not centrist, but is it is it neoliberals? What is the word that they use for when when they're trying to insult people who identify as being left or being democratic or being progressive, but then if you come out and you don't support like who they've deemed as the progressive candidate, then somehow well, you're just a centrist idiot. Get the fuck out of here. It's or moderate Democrat. Yes, it it's just it is way more complicated than that. And I think at the end of the day, for every candidate, even the one that you right now at home are thinking is the the greatest candidate or the best candidate, there are going to be some shortcomings. That's just sort of the human that's human nature. But that is also very much sort of how things are in politics like no one candidate is going to to sort of check all of the boxes and i'm not saying this is not me getting on a soapbox and knocking and using sort of that i don't like the purity test rhetoric either i don't like it on either side of of the you know i don't like when people use it to insult supporters of you know more progressive candidates but i also don't i just don't i just don't think because that's not what it is. No one's looking for purity. And I think we should all be able to understand that purity is not a thing that's going to ever exist, particularly in politics. But, you know, African-Americans, we are not (laughs) stupid voters. We are sophisticated voters. We are the backbone of that goddamn party and deserve to be treated with respect. And, and that, I guess that's my thing. I'm sorry. I I went on a long tangent there, but you brought up Mayor Pete and I just wanted to sort of raise that issue because I've seen so many well-reasoned arguments, articles, and discussions, um, about his engagement with the black community. And it's been really disappointing to see, you know, people who are coming forward with, with well-reasoned analysis, just sort of being reduced to your homophobic. He's preparing for African-Americans to not support his campaign. So his campaign did a poll of the African-American community and somehow extracted talking points from this poll that black people are homophobic and that's why they don't support him. So, I mean, it's just focus groups and people know about his sexual orientation and it came up. And because of that, (laughs) they decided that the talking point could be extracted that they're homophobic and that's why they're not going to support Mayor Pete. So they're preparing, they're preparing this narrative. So they're the ones helping to fuel it. In case mm-hmm. they ride a all white or majority white wave of support. So you've got that. Plus, he said some really fucking insulting things to Julian Castro the other day. Yes, yes, he did. Like, yes, he did. Like he and, and it was your your um, commentary on knowing better that like these white folks just know better. And that was the attitude that he had with Julian Castro when it came to managing the police in a major city. Now, I would argue South Bend, mm, is it a major city? I don't know. I mean, I come from New York. You live in Philadelphia. These are major cities. Julian Castro was mayor of fucking San Antonio. Right. That's a big fucking city. 
a huge city. city. Yeah. Predominantly, I, I actually don't know if it's, it might be predominantly brown, but I'm sure it's far more diverse than fucking South Bend. I think that's fair. I think that's a fair, it, we're, we're making right. some assumptions here, but I think it's a fair one to I'm, I'm going <laughs> to go back and try to make sure that actual facts are in the show notes, you guys. This is just speculation here. But I'm like, you got the nerve to talk to Julian, who was also the secretary of housing and urban development about race relations. You as a privileged ass white man in the United States, you're going to talk to this brown man about how to handle race relations. Fuck you. I'm sorry. Right. But fuck you. And if that's your stance now, how the fuck am I going to work with you in the White House if you think you know better? If I'm going to come to you with my fucking lived experience, you're going to tell me that you fucking know better than me? Fuck you. Right. 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 And and that's... And like I said, you know, we're not saying any of this to... To, to sort of take away from the fact that homophobia is real. Yes, it is. And sadly, there are going yes. to be people who are going to straight up say, I'm not voting for him because they're homophobic. That is also true. There and are trash. And trash. Yes. It, yes, it is true and it is trash and it is unacceptable and it's just straight up fucked up. But I want to just reiterate again that multiple things can be true. And it can be true that people are homophobic trash. It can also be true that there are people who are not homophobic, who just expect more of their candidates, who have looked at the issues, who have heard, you know, things like the example that you just made and and feel a bit of unease about the idea of him being a front runner. And frankly, we could have this conversation about every single candidate. And, you know, we could have this conversation about Elizabeth Warren, who I respect, and I've liked her campaign a great deal. But there are issues there. And just as it's true that she's had some really great, I think, moments in terms of her campaign, that she's got some plans that I think look good, some that need improvement. It's also true that some of the discourse around her is also misogynistic. All of these, and that that is trash. All of these things can be true. And I don't think that we are giving people, and I'm just saying this as a black person, I think black people in particular are not being given enough credit by our so-called allies, particularly, I think it kind of hurts more when it comes from the so-called woke progressives who, you know, want to browbeat or lecture us about sort of, what's best for us and what we need to do is though we are not capable of thinking for ourselves. It, I think it's more frustrating when it comes from that vantage point because my expectations of people on the other side of the aisle, I, I mean, there are none. They're so fucking low. The bar couldn't be lower. So, I, you know, I expect all of the trash talking points from someone, you know, who is on the right, far right, you know, who drinks the Kool-Aid of Trump. You know, I'm not expecting anything from them. But for the people that we need to be working with, when it comes from there, it just is, it just, it just hits different, as the the young Thundercats would say. It just hits different. 
All right, so Christine, we talked about the shit we didn't like, we talked about the shit we liked, and then we went on a pretty substantial tangent there about politics. Let's get on to the topic yes, of ma'am. the day, which is Fleabag. Mm-hmm. We should be drinking gin and tonics. Um, gin and tonics are not my jam, but I do think that if you're going to salute um, our, our favorite messy character, and we say messy with love because we love us some messy Fleabag, that gin and tonic is the only way to go, for sure. Yeah, I can't, and I can't drink gin. Do you know about me and gin? No, please uh, share with the class. So, um, when I drink, I am a delightful person. Like, I love to laugh. I will make others laugh. I might actually become the life of the fucking party. Like, I'm a very happy drunk. Unless I drink gin. And if I drink gin, I will fight a nucka. I oh, will. Okay, okay. I will. I will start a fight with the sweetest person on the planet for absolutely no reason. I will start fights with strangers. I will talk shit about people to their face. Like, it's just a bad scene. You do not want to see me on gin. And it's kind of interesting. Like, my friends have witnessed the slow transformation oh, of, God. like, Happy Christine to belligerent ass Christine (laughs) drinking gin. So it's like, no, I avoid it altogether. I keep a bottle in my house just for hosting, but I don't touch that shit. So there is no G&T during this discussion for me at all. I'm sticking to my sweet rice rice milk liqueur. Mm, I'm... I don't. I would never want to encourage Dark Christine, but I am wondering like how that Game of Thrones podcast would have gone. Darth Christine. Darth Christine. Darth Christine had been on that podcast. um, (laughs) No, it would have been bad. (laughs) Yo, if Darth Christine was on that podcast, our like seven hour recording would have been like maybe a nine, ten hour recording. And, like, half of it would have been unusable. (laughs) So, like, I don't know which is better. The fact that we had, like, six hours of decent content or, like, I don't know. That would have been scary. Two hours of content. I think we we, we did bring it, I think. We said some things with our chests. I think we. We we, said some things. We said what we said. We exactly. But now we're going to say some things about Fleabag. Yeah. Um, so we're going to get into like episodes, characters, arcs, and all that good stuff. But let's just start from the top. Christine, what were your overall impressions of the show? Oh, my God. I fucking love this show. <laughs> like, I can't say enough good things about it. Is it perfect? Mm, no. But it, I feel like it's pretty close. Like, the first time I saw it, I thought it was perfect. Mm-hmm. I thought it was. The more and more I rewatch it, the less perfect it becomes for me. Interesting. Yeah. But um, I remember, I think Fleabag was on my radar and it was on my list of things to watch. Um, but I didn't really get into it until our mutual friend Sam, like, really got on my ass to watch it. And it might have been the first TV show I watched with someone who was in a different city. So, yeah. like, we would we would time um, when we pressed play on the shows, and I would be on my couch in D.C., and she would be on her couch in Chicago, and we watched it together. I was like, 
is only half an hour the first episode? She's like, yeah, don't worry about it. We'll just watch one episode. <laughs> and so then it's you like, realize, 30 minutes? Well, shit. Hit yo, again. <laughs> yo, but we, you get to the end of the first 30 minutes, and it's like, okay, I'll watch the next one. Yep. Because the first, the first 30 minutes were fucking excellent. This mm-hmm. like... The way the show opens grabs you immediately. Like, she chucks Bran out the window in the first seven minutes of the show. Right? So, like, she grabs you right, right away. Um, And she holds your attention with the most ridiculous and relatable comedy Mm -hmm. in the first 30 minutes of the show. So, of course, I'm like, okay, fine. I'll watch the second one. Next thing I know, it's like 3 o'clock in the morning, and I have to go to work tomorrow, and Sam's a fucking hour behind me in Chicago, and I'm like, bitch, I gotta go to bed. (laughs) Why did you do this to me? Um, So we watched all two seasons together. I didn't watch it until the second season came out. Um, And then I was devastated to find out that there were no more seasons, because to me, like... It was just a perfect six hours. She Mm -hmm. took you on this amazing roller coaster of emotions where you start out grabbing your sides with this ridiculously funny humor. Mm -hmm. And by the end of it, it starts to get a little darker and a little darker and a little darker until at the end you're like, holy shit. And I'm talking about the first season. Yeah. But like, holy shit, she has gone through some shit and she's fucked up. Like yeah. some of the some of the frames of mind that she's in and some of the philosophy that she holds is really it's harmful to herself. Yeah. You know? Um and by the end of it, she's your best friend. You love her. You do anything for her. You want her to get better. And then the second season rolls around. It's like, shit, she does become better. Mm-hmm. Like, she is working through her issues, working through her grief, learns to genuinely love. And then when you're so proud and happy for her, she leaves you. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, what the my best friend is leaving me (laughs) left Mm -hmm. my ass at the bus stop crying i gotta go find a fox for comfort now like what the fuck man and you're telling me this is it this is all i get just these just these 12 episodes of perfection the six hours of a snapshot in this woman's life who is so delightfully messy and fucked up and going through some real stuff and her family seems okay on the outside, but they're just as fucked up as she is. And mm-hmm. I mean, like, I definitely went through some stuff where I was like, oh, I love this character so much. And they would say one thing and break my fucking heart because they broke my best friend's heart. Yeah. Because we're there with her. We're the only people that she has. Because she's, she's looking to us like we're the ones who are always with her. And the only people are always there with her and the only ones who know like what's going on in her head and how she feels. And I think ultimately we are the most reliable people in her life because I would even argue that for as much 
support as the hot priest gave i think that there are moments where he ultimately lets her down too and so that's oh why yeah you, you know you certainly feel this this deep connection because you really like you said at the end when you get to the end it's like it's us it's us you know what yeah. i mean it's yeah. us we are her people we are her yeah. support we are the ones that are going to be there and because we're not in it we are not going to have the opportunity to say something fucked up and totally ruin things right <laughs> so um, like you, uh, Fleabag was one of the shows that, you know, I heard people talk about, I think, I know I mentioned this in the last podcast, but sometimes the more people talk about a thing, the less I kind of want to engage with it. Cause it's just like, it's just too much fucking discussion. And I want to just be able to get to this organically. However, I get to it and I do ultimately get around to things, but it, it's, I have, I kind of like to do it on my own time, which is very stubborn, I can admit, but it's just sort of how I just tend to enjoy things. I don't think that I enjoy things so much when it's like, all right, I've got peer pressure to fuck into doing this thing, so fuck it, put it on, and it can be good, <laughs> but I'll still be salty, or I might just do that thing. I, I also realize that I do a thing where I'll be like, I've said a thousand times I didn't want to watch this shit, but you can put it on, but guess who's going to be asleep in the first 10 minutes? And it's not that I want to go to sleep, but it's just my body just says, "Mm mm-mm, we're not into this. Unless it feels really good. Um, I'm kind of that way with movies generally. I I have been ruined by binge watches, and I have a hard time with movies. Like, movies have to, it has to be something I really want to see for me to, sit and sort of give anything my undivided attention and my mom likes movies so we had that struggle a lot because she'll be like just watch this movie and I'm like listen but I mean how can I not it's like you sat down and watched 10 hours of television with me I can sit down for 90 minutes and watch a movie with you so it's the same experience with Fleabag I'd heard can I just say one quick thing yeah I feel like this is a subtweet for Daphne Daphne if you are listening Stop harassing this woman about watching Black Sails. She could get around to it. Trust me, because I'm going to put this shit on the list of things that this podcast is going to tackle. She's going to have to watch it. <laughs> but stop harassing this good woman about Black Sails, please. She's getting it from all corners. And it's not its not even a subtweet. Because Daphne, I know it comes from a good faith place. For me, it's not even sort of when people personally do it. I think it's it's more sort of a social media thing. So I'll give you a, a more specific example. Now I'm not going to say who it was, but it's more of a subtweet, a sub <laughs> a shot at something that somebody did during one of the more recent award shows. I don't know if it was. I don't think the Emmys have come up yet, but it was it was some award show, right? And so Fleabag as a comedy is in the same category. Um, with with veep and mm. i you know i think anyone that knows me knows that i love veep but i i will literally fuck you up over julia louis dreyfus i just <laughs> like i adore her um i love her with my entire heart um and i think you know when she you know, bravely came forward and shared, you know, that she had cancer. It felt like somebody in the family had <laughs> told you they had cancer. And mm, so, it was like Ned getting his head cut off all over again. Yes. And so seeing her go on that journey, like I love the show regardless, but her, you know, going through that journey, getting, you know, chemo, going through treatment, they put mm. a hold on the show. She comes back. She finishes it. I personally think Veep has one of the best final seasons of any series I've ever watched. And God, it's got such a great 
fitting ending that is such a it just feels like it's such a fitting tribute to fans of the show who loved it from like season one episode one because there's some lovely callbacks to some jokes from the first season so I say all that to say like I'm just you know doing my thing as I want to do which is tweeting into the universe and I was saying how much I was really hoping that Veep would win and how I was really rooting for Julia Louis-Dreyfus but I knew that the odds were against her because everybody's on this goddamn Fleabag kick right now and don't get me wrong Fleabag is great Phoebe Waller-Bridges is great. I'm not saying, like, oh, she shouldn't have won, but I feel personally invested in Julia Louis-Dreyfus having gone through all the shit that she went through, given us this amazing final performance. You know, it's not uncommon for award shows to do that thing where, you know, and she's won awards in the past, but it feels different now because we know everything that she went through. So I guess I feel more invested in her and her efforts being recognized. And so I was just tweeting, like, oh, you know, I really hope Julia Louis-Dreyfus wins. She did not. She won she lost to Phoebe Waller-Bridges. But long story short, somebody swooped in my fucking mentions and was like, have you seen Fleabag? You sure it wasn't me? No, it wasn't you. <laughs> it was you. I would tell you. It was you. This was after, no, because this was after we had watched it. Oh, okay. This is recently. This is so, but it was like the part. It's all you know. I'm just out here, just trying to love on Julia Louis Dreyfus, trying to enjoy myself and be to myself. And someone swoops in in response to my Julia Louis Dreyfus tweet, and they're like, "Have you seen Fleabag though?" And I'm like, "Yes." Saw the whole thing. Actually loved it. Don't know what that has to do with me over here trying to love on Julia Louis Dreyfus. And I don't think I asked for recommendations. And I know that it, it's probably frustrating for some people to hear, like, our annoyance with, like, how people engage on, on social media because my profile is public. And you know that if you tweet something into the void, that's how Twitter works. People are going to swoop in from time to time um, and and respond to things. And most times it doesn't bother me, but it's like – that was that is sort of the frustration I'm talking about. Not necessarily because I think from Daphne, it's it's more like a I know you're gonna love the fuck out of this thing, and I and I can appreciate that, and I totally get that. Like I still get annoyed when people are like I haven't watched season two of Pose, and that's uh that's a shot at Sam. It's like Sam, get your shit together and watch the second season of Pose. <laughs> what the fuck are you waiting for? Um, so I am guilty of it too. Um. But that's the kind of stuff, like, when you're talking about a specific thing and someone that you don't, like, regularly sort of interact with or engage with just sort of swoops in and talks about something completely different, it's like, why are you here? So that's that's more so what I mean. Um, got a lot of that during sort of the nomination and awards season because, like I said, I am, you know – president of the julia louis dreyfus fan club but i know that it's probably not gonna go well for her this award season because they're gonna be against fleabag in every fucking category so and fleabag was excellent and so i you know i'm not saying oh they shouldn't win because veep should win but it is a little disappointing because i want my girl to you know have a final fitting salute but she's brilliant and talented i'm sure she's working on something new that 
will just bring her more awards. Um, but I have uh, in the past like gone off about Julia Louis Dreyfus on social media. I don't even know how we got into this tangent. So long story short, I was about to say, Jocelyn. So the question at hand was, <laughs> what was your overall, overall impression, impression well, of Fleabag? The overall impression <laughs> is that I love Julia Louis Dreyfus, and now I just want to do an episode all about Julia Louis Dreyfus. Like, have you seen? Too fucking bad. Too bad. Too uh, bad. Uh, Too bad. Right. I have no juju bees for you, my friend. God, you okay. need to focus on back. So then you and Sam were like, just fucking watch it. And when someone says it's a thirty minute show, it's really hard to be like, to be like, no, no, I'm not gonna watch a thirty minute show. So we watched it, and it was really good. Um, I think that we are aligned in terms of how it holds up over time. Yeah. I, you know, I loved it in the moment. Some of that was probably enhanced by the fact that we were all watching it together and yeah. reacting with each other. Um, but once I was done with it, I felt all the feels. The finale destroyed me, but it was one of those things where it's like if I never watched it again, I'd be fine. Like, I'm not mm, going to feel mm-hmm. like a void or one day randomly say, you know what I miss? I miss that show. Let me go revisit it. I didn't feel like that about it after it sat with me a little bit longer. I loved it. And maybe it's because it's such a, like you said, you know, it does go to some dark places. And I think that it, it the show, the writers are certainly challenging you. Fleabag is certainly challenging herself, challenging herself to feel things, to be vulnerable. Yes. and. And I think for me, in terms of the content that I take in, I am still very much in a space where I need escapism. And I kind of just want to mindlessly, (laughs) you know, enjoy things without having to feel shit that I could just feel on my own if I just wanted to, like, feel some shit. And so I think that's part of, you know, one of those reasons, you know, after I was done with it, I could say it was great. It's, it's really a perfect, you know, two seasons of any show. I'd put it up against anything that anyone else says is great. It's, it's really well done. But it's also not sort of the kind of journey that I want to, like, revisit. Because I mm. think that it's it's got some heavy lifting. And, you know, for you as a viewer, you have to do some heavy lifting as you're going through the journey with her. And, and you know, we should have said at the outset that, I mean, hopefully if you're listening to this, you've seen Fleabag because we've already spoiled some shit and we're going to continue to spoil it. So if you haven't seen it, um, we'd love to have you here, but you should stop and then go watch it and come back. Unless you don't care about spoilers, then stay on with us. But I think we should also just, you know, remind people in case they haven't seen it but have decided that they want to listen, you know, just provide a trigger warning um, on the topic of suicide because that is, you know, a, a... a significant part of her yeah. arc and and I don't know that we can get through a discussion without that coming up at some point so I think you know we just want to put that up front and center before we get too far into the discussion so I don't know I still haven't really answered the question I liked it it's not <laughs> I liked it um I enjoyed it I was devastated at the end, but devastated in, like, the best way possible, like, you know, in a very satisfying way. Like, it, it's a really great ending to a series. I would never want more of it because it was such a perfect ending. But, like I said, it's not a show that I have this strong desire to go back and revisit. I also 
would like to challenge people, and, and not our listeners, but I'm talking more so in sort of the discourse about Fleabag, I think that it's a it's it's a very unique experience in that it's such a perfect show, but it is also like not the only show about a messy woman who is going through certain challenges in life and trying to get her shit together and going on that journey. There are some other really great shows and really great performances out there, and sometimes I think that in this fleabag discourse, people act like it's the first thing of its kind that's ever been done in history, and I'm like, that's just not true. I could certainly name some things, and maybe if you know, maybe if you opened yourself up to more diverse stuff, you would you'd probably have um, some more material to watch. But you know, that is, I think, another frustrating part of the discourse for me. It's not a reflection on the show, but it's more so this whole idea that you know, Fleabag and the character in the show are just these special little unicorns um, out in the universe that that have never been done and will never be done again. It's just simply not true. Well, maybe we can end today's podcast with some recommendations for shows that folks can watch, or maybe we'll put it in the show notes of problematic women who are not Fleabag. Actually, I just want to do a whole episode on it, so let's hold that. Oh, okay. <laughs> I would, Excellent. I want to do a whole... I'd like Shit, to do, that means I got homework to do. I'd like to do an episode where we salute messy women. And, and maybe each of us, you know, comes together, comes forward with, like, maybe our three favorite messy women, and we just unpack them and talk about them. Nice. Okay. Yeah. That's the plan. You got it. All right. You got it. All right. So we talked about our overall impressions. Oh, I mean, Christine talked about her overall impression. I don't know what the fuck I just did. <laughs> I just talked to And I'm not even – even And you're the sober one. I am the sober one. <laughs> maybe I need to go put some – scotch or something and I uh, focus so I can get focused here but moving (laughs) beyond um overall impressions uh where do you want to go next Christine well typically we talk about seasons but here's the thing with Fleabag we only got two to choose from yeah so like in terms of shit we like and shit we don't like and we're both talking about this as a almost like perfect show it's going to be kind of difficult to talk about you know, which season we liked and which season we didn't like. But I'll tell you which season I liked better. Um, and for me, that was season two. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's for two primary reasons. One, season two holds up for me on rewatch. I think both seasons can stand alone. Although season one provides an awful lot of context for season two as to like, why everyone is so concerned with how Fleabag feels and where she's at and how weirded out they are by the fact that she is presenting as really okay mm-hmm. um, and that she is not the center of all the drama that season. I want to apologize to our mutual friend Lauren Sarner <laughs> who, uh, who in a Slack channel told folks that they could watch season two without seeing season one of Fleabag and I totally went off on this heresy. I mean, she's she's probably right. So Lauren, okay, fine. Begrudgingly, okay, fine. Whatever. Um, it's funny that but, you mentioned that because I was also thinking about that when I was like thinking about the discourse because yes. I was like poor Lauren who <laughs> didn't have access to season one just made a point and like what do you mean she didn't have access to season one she only because I think she only got screeners for season two and I guess she doesn't have Amazon Prime that was I mean I didn't get into the specifics but 
she certainly did not at the time have access to watch season one and I think she said she'd only gotten the screeners for two so and then and, and I was one of them it's like 20 people the flea bag hive came out of the woodworks <laughs> People who haven't posted in the Slack in like ten weeks. Oh no! But the first season is, and it's like it's true. I mean, I, like listen, season one I think does help you appreciate sort of Fleabag's overall journey, and it's I the think, hook. Yeah, but I think that you can also certainly enjoy season two in isolation, and you're not yes. a bad Fleabag fan for having only seen season two. So. Yes, indeed, indeed. So, Lauren, I love you. I appreciate you. And this is my apology to you. So, again, I think season two holds up on rewatch. But I wonder if that is a little tainted because I actually went and saw Fleabag the play. Mm-hmm. Kind of. Mm-hmm. Kind of. So, recently... Phoebe Waller-Bridge brought back her one-woman play, Fleabag, which is what season one is based on, right? So season one is, what, three hours? It's six half-an-hour episodes. The play is, like, two hours or less, and it's a one-woman show, and you do have audio of various characters like you have the audio of boo you have the audio of the lone officer but it's really just phoebe waller bridge sitting in a chair on stage and so she brought the play back i think to the west end in london and they did a recording of it Mm -hmm. so that you could kind of see it like a movie but at a theater. So I went to the local Shakespearean theater in DC with our good sis Daphne and well, Daphne and my friend Emily. So shout outs to both of those ladies. And we had a lovely evening watching Phoebe do her one woman act. And it was like a perfect encapsulation of season one. There are some differences. There's one major difference. And there's some animal cruelty in the play, which completely took me out of it. And I hated it. And it really fucking upset me. I uh, that is the thing that I am extremely sensitive about. And that's animal cruelty. But um, other than that, it was a much better version of season one of Fleabag. So it kind of took a little bit away from season one on Amazon Mm -hmm. for me. Because the play was just so perfect, so funny, and I think a little better than season one. Now, there are some additions to the, um, to the Amazon season one of Fleabag that they did not have in the play. Like the entire day at the silent retreat, that is not in the play. That is entirely a show creation. And I love that episode. It's not one of my favorites, but I love that episode because it is so ridiculous. And but I also think it's a great display of when it's good to be silent and how damaging being honest can be. But in the end, how cathartic and helpful it can be. You know, like in the moment, it could be really damaging. But once you sit with it for a while, it's actually healing. 
Um, so I love that episode and it's not in the play, but somehow watching the play ruined season one a little bit for me. And season two has the fucking hot priest. Like, how can you not like it? So, but that's where I fall on season one versus season two. I love them both, but season, season two, season two, I could probably rewatch by itself. I rewatched season one for... The purposes of preparing for today, but I I honestly don't know if I would watch it again, especially since I think one of the most hurtful scenes for me for my soul was in season one, and we could talk about that later. But yeah, but that's where I fall. How about you, Jess? Um, I think that they are like I think I, I for me it was a difficult. I, like, it's difficult to sort of grapple with, you know, do I like a season better than the other? Because I think that they're both good seasons. So I think just to, re- to reiterate, there's not a, a bad choice between the two here, right? But I do right. think that for me, season two, oh, it's hard. I think season two holds up better for me uh, over time. It's If I did go revisit it, that's probably – Maybe it's what I revisit. I don't know. And now I'm just sort of working through my thoughts. Um, so here's the thing. One of the things that I – there's one area in Fleabag that I think sort of is, is lost on me because I think, as I've said before, I am not big into organized religion. And, mm-hmm. um, and when my family did go to church we happened to go to baptist churches Mm. so i think that there is a through line in season two obviously because of the hot priest it's very sort of heavily influenced by this experience of being a catholic that i think they do a good job at sort of you know we you get what you're supposed to get from it but there are times when I'm watching and I'm wondering how many Easter eggs am I missing? Right. How, how many sort of, how much context am I missing out on here? Because this is just an experience that I, that I've not had. I don't know it. I don't mm. know anybody in my family actually that is Catholic, even the ones that are like hardcore churchgoers. It's never, you know, the Catholic church. So it, it there is part of that, like, as a viewer, it, I don't think it changed my experience or made season two um, any less great for me. But I will say that that I did wonder at times if I was getting sort of the, the full experience that I could be getting, maybe if I had more of that perspective. Um, and so maybe for that reason, and maybe I'm wrong. And tell me if you think I'm wrong. I didn't feel like it was as heavily, I don't want to call it heavy handed, but maybe not as central, right, to what happens in season one. I mean, there's still these issues like of guilt and grappling with consequences that, you know, can ultimately, I mean, we know that that is the stuff that ultimately leads her to seeking, um, you know, guidance, trying to improve herself, trying to find her way. Um, that I think ultimately sets up what we get in season two and her going to church and all that good stuff. But there is kind of part of me that does like that season one doesn't have all of that religious stuff in it. And yeah. I, um, and and so, and, and maybe it is the season. 
I don't even know if it's, I still don't know if that makes it a season I like more though. But it is, it, it's, it, that sort of was something that I grappled with as I thought about the two seasons. I still yeah. think from top to bottom, though, season two is a stronger season. And I think the character arcs are, are more satisfying. I think if you just, if I took season one in isolation, um, I, I wouldn't be satisfied with the character arcs. And I think that's what's so great about season two. And I think it's why I think season two can sort of stand on its own because even though season one had all this great context, you still you still know everybody's a hot ass mess coming up, yeah. you know, at the top of season two. So, yeah, I guess. Um, once again, rambling answer, but I would I would ultimately <laughs> say season two is the better of the two. But as I mentioned, we're talking about sort of, you know, the difference between a really delicious apple and a really delicious orange. Like, you know what I mean? It's yeah. Not, it's, yeah. It's, it's yeah. Not, even though, even though they're both on the same fucking tree somehow. <laughs> but yes. yes. Yeah, no, I totally get that. I mean, listen, I'm not going to say you're right or wrong. I mean, your opinion is your opinion. And I, I just have a different opinion on, like, the theme of season two. For me, season two wasn't so much about, like, religion at all. It was, yes, it was a part of it. But mm-hmm. season two for me was more about how we handle grief. Mm-hmm. Like, how do we actually mourn and grieve? And how does love play into our life? Right? So mm-hmm. I think one of the most powerful things that um, Fleabag's dad says to her is that, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fuck up the quote, but something along the lines of, you really know how to love Mm-hmm. Which is why you find it so painful. So, yeah. like, she really, really fucking loves people. She loved her mom. She loved Boo. She loves her sister. She loves her father. And when she either loses them or disappoints them in some way, it's incredibly painful for her. And she goes through this grieving and mourning process that, like, Either she can't handle it's too overwhelming, particularly with Boo, because she had to deal with guilt as well, which maybe is why they chose a Catholic priest, even though, like, England has an official religion and it's not Catholicism. Right. But, of course, they chose a Catholic priest so that they had an unattainable love interest for her. Because for her, again, love is so easy, but intimacy isn't she really enjoys sex and the physicality of it she likes being desired but like having an actual connection is frightening for her because she loves so fucking hard mm-hmm. and when you do that you really open yourself up to pain and for me i think that's what more season two was about and learning to be okay with that pain yeah. That, that the love, the love that you get out of it is worth it. The risk is worth it. Um, and she is strong enough to deal with the pain of loving someone. Yeah. And I, and I agree with that. And I don't, I hope I didn't give the wrong impression. I'm not saying that season two is all about religion, but certainly a lot of the scenes and a lot of the interactions are occurring in mm. this religious space. And, mm-hmm. and, 
there's part of me that's like, am I missing some layer? Is there some picture on the wall? If there is there some book that someone's referring to where I'm just missing things that would like add a layer to what is happening here was something that sort of crossed my mind as I rewatched season two. Because, you know, because I don't know a lot about Catholicism and frankly did not have the time to do a primer on it for this podcast episode. Yeah. <laughs> I think, about, for me, I, I think a lot of the Easter eggs um, are more rooted in Christianity generally. Like, mm-hmm. was it um, Clara's up there giving her her speech, her impromptu speech or whatever for women in business. And she has to thank Mark, Luke, John, and, and, and mm-hmm. Paul. Um, I think shit, this is really bad. Okay. First of all, one, I'm drinking you guys in case my family is listening and are completely judging my poor answers on who the four gospel authors are. <laughs> but like, she mentions the four, the four gospel authors on jesus's life i don't think paul was one of them because paul is like the 13th apostle but whatever she mentions them in her speech and i'm like oh that's definitely a um a religious easter egg um Mm -hmm. and it definitely sparked my interest in trying to pay attention for those things but yeah they're not necessary they're not necessary i don't think for um, and, and this is in no way a judgment of how you consumed. I'm just saying, um, that, yeah, they're not, they're not necessarily necessary to enjoy season two or understand season two. They're kind of fun, but I can understand that if you hear one that like, you might be frustrated that now you have to go on this Easter egg hunt, you know, in order to properly understand the season. I think they were yeah. just fun placements, yeah. That That's what I was about to say. To me, um, I felt like I got the season, and I didn't – I just wondered if I could have further enhanced the experience by knowing more. That being nah. said, you can know nothing about yeah. anyone's organized religion and pick up on what the actual themes are of the season, the character mm. arcs. That That's not going to compromise your understanding of those. It's just sometimes like – it's like watching a Marvel movie and – what is it, Ultron, where they talk about Wakanda in passing, and mm-hmm. um, and mm-hmm. and someone like like it's that it's those little things where you're like, you hear Wakanda for the first time, and you're like, what's that? Mm-hmm. Yes, or but if you know sort of the Marvel universe, and you know, right. the, then you're like Wakanda, bitch, we going to Wakanda, you know, you know yeah. that that's sort of a little wink, wink, nod, nod, you know that. You know, like winter, the Black Panther is coming. Like, you know, right. Wakanda. <laughs> like, yeah. You know. Yeah, so many people were confused at the end of, um, whatchamacallit, at the end of Infinity War with the pager. Because, like, it's all right. it is is the symbol right. for Captain Marvel. And, like, half of the audience was like, oh, my God. And the other half was like, oh, what? Okay. Exactly. It's more of that kind of experience where you just wonder, are there these little Easter eggs like where somebody says Wakanda and you like, bitch, we going to Wakanda, you know, and and maybe you're not like you're completely understanding the scene and you're you're understanding that vibranium is important and that that's why we're here and that this material has done X, Y, and Z. You get all of that from the scene. And that's really ultimately what the takeaway point is from that conversation. Um, with Bruce, but but for those that sort of have that 
that extra layer, you know, you get this little wink, wink, you know, in the dialogue. And that's kind of what I mean. Like, it doesn't take away from it. You're not really missing out on anything. But I did often wonder, like, are there some little winks and nods in here that I've missed in my my viewing of season two? So, again, it was hard to kind of pick between just two seasons but we did have 12 episodes mm-hmm. to choose between did you have a favorite among any of them yeah for me it's the finale it's the season two finale uh yeah the bus stop and i mean it's just it's and i feel kind of bad like leading off with that because i mean that is like the to me that's the episode and again we're talking about a series that has a lot of good episodes but for me, it is the season two finale. There's so many things that happen, but it's just where we land in the end. You know, going back to what you initially said, Christine, about feeling like you are Fleabag's friend. She is your sister. She is your cousin. She is your ride or die. She is the one that, you know, you are so invested in. I mean, there, we'll talk about characters because there's certainly other characters in who I was in, you know, in whom I was invested, but. That feeling at the end when you know she's going to be okay, I don't even know that I have the words to, to express like how that feels, and, but, but it's enhanced because you're so personally invested in her and you've yeah. watched her go through so much shit and, you know, trying and sometimes succeeding and trying and failing and, you know, having the people in her life at times just take huge dumps on her and watching her somehow, you know, manage to move past that. And I think as you also mentioned, still being open to like love and and possibilities. And when I say openness to love, I'm not just talking about romantic love, but I mean, I'm talking about just love. You know, this is familial love. It can be platonic. It can be just being open to caring about people and loving them despite all the shit that you go through with them and the shit that you've gone through personally that could certainly compromise your ability to be open to love. And the fact that, you know, and, and there are times when, you know, that is one of, Fleabag's one of the few shows where I did, I was not spoiled, had no idea where things were going to go. I had no idea how it was going to end. So, sorry, I'm laughing because I remember your visceral reaction to the bus stop. Yeah. And so, and you're just like, holy shit. Like, first you're like, that's it? We're done? And then you realize, oh, we're done, done. Like, not only is this, like, it for the <laughs> for the episode, bitch, this is it for the series? Because there's so much, like, hope and promise, and you're so excited because you're like, guys, she's okay. And then I think, I don't even, I can't remember if I put this in the chat or not, but I might have been like, man, I can't wait to see what happens next now that she's feeling, you know, she's in a better place now. And then you realize, you're just going to have to imagine all of that in your head because there's not going to be any more episodes. But there's something very delightful about being able to just leave on, on that possibility of what will be next. But it, it's such a it's such a positive and, and uh, a hopeful place for someone who's just been through so much. So I don't really even remember a lot about what happens in that episode, to be honest. It's really it's the bus stop. It's it's getting to that place with her. To me, it's that is it. That's 
that's the episode, that's the series, that's the moment. It's it's that. It's all about that. So my favorite episode is also the finale. Like, I, I I don't know I don't know how you pick any other episode. Yeah, I I in my other notes I was that? like we're gonna both like I mean it would have just been like okay so you guys before we started recording I was like all right I tried to go off the beaten path with some of my choices because I know we're gonna have the same choices but this was one where I was like I can't yeah. even like pretend like it's any other episode I think it would have just sounded disingenuous we would have sounded crazy (laughs) (laughs) literally how do you pick any other episode and for me it was oh it starts off with the morning after where like they have finally had sex in fleabag's apartment and you're like oh my god are they actually gonna work out like you start off with this moment of hope and then in the course of just fucking 30 minutes, her love interest closes the door. Mm-hmm. But you still end with hope because you know that she's going to be okay. You know she is. Like, she gives you that knowing look that, like, listen, I've loved and I've lost. And this was a good experience. And I'm going to be okay with it. I'm not going to jump into a fucking bike lane after this which is kind of where she was at the end of season one had not the loan officer pulled up and been like and asked that very important question that we need to ask each other every now and again are you okay yeah and that was that was all that it took to really turn her life around the end of season one and then we see her again at the beginning of season two where she's done like some good work on herself mm-hmm. um but the hope in that episode that is maintained i think is really uplifting particularly starting with where we were in season one that whole love is awful speech is everything yeah it's like when he starts off with that shit and you're like bruh read the audience read the, like do you know that you're at a wedding Exactly, exactly. Like, where are we going with this, sir? This is a Wendy's. What are you doing? I think what you guys are doing is amazing. Sorry. Fuck me. (laughs) Sorry, didn't get much sleep last night. So it turns out it's quite hard to come up with something original to say about love. But I've had a go. Love is awful. It's awful. It's painful. It's frightening. It makes you doubt yourself, judge yourself, distance yourself from the other people in your life. It makes you selfish. It makes you creepy. It makes you obsessed with your hair. It makes you cruel. It makes you say and do things you never thought you would do. There's something wrong with your priest. It's all any of us want, and it's hell when we get there. So no wonder. It's something we don't want to do on our own. I was taught if we're born with love, then life is about choosing the right place to put it. People talk about that a lot, it feeling right. When it feels right, it's easy. But I'm not sure that's true. It takes strength to know what's right.
And love isn't something that weak people do. Being a romantic takes a hell of a lot of hope. I think what they mean is, when you find somebody that you love, it feels like hope. And then you've yeah. got Claire. Claire finally putting herself first and recognizing her self-worth and trusting her sister, opening her eyes to the shit-stained husband that she has. Ugh. I mean, and we should talk about some of the fi family dynamics there because there's some shit that Fleabag has said about Claire's family that I do not agree with at all. Like, I'm mad with my bestie on this one. <laughs> like... <laughs> So I really didn't like it when Claire was up for the Finland promotion. I think she got it, and she spoke to Martin about it, and Martin said it would be unfair to Jake. And Fleabag says he's not your son anyway. Right. That's that. I was, yeah, that was furious bad. at that line. Furious. Okay, which is honestly great because our bestie is not perfect. No. She has flaws. I love the whole thing about, you know, what does it mean to be a good feminist? Is she a bad feminist and how she struggles with that? Mm -hmm. But that line in particular, I was fucking furious at her about that. But I was happy to see that Jake was like, Claire needs to leave him. I can't do the, the creepy <laughs> Jake voice. But I was like, you must leave. Like, tell Claire to leave him. So it's great that Claire finally does that. And that heart-to-heart -heart conversation that Fleabag has with her dad in the attic. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. I love it. Anytime she has one-on-one -on -one time with her dad, I love it. I'm, I am a very basic daddy's girl. So those moments really fucking touch my heart. Even though her dad also has said some shit that I really don't like that I think we'll likely get into later. But yeah, the finale nailed it. I mean, this was a stuck landing for a two-season show that I, like, I have absolutely no gripes with it whatsoever. You know, Claire comes honest with her miscarriage and chooses love with Claire, which is like, I don't know if that's supposed to be a whole separate story on like narcissism or what. I have no idea. But that shit is just weird. Um, and I think everybody's in a good place, including Martin, because it feels like Martin also has a bit of self-discovery at the end, you know, where he's like, I have a terrible personality. Great. Go fucking fix it. Yeah. Or just go jump, you know, never mind. Or you would like, go jump off a bridge. Yeah, and I was like, oh, <laughs> probably not the best. Um, no, don't, don't. <laughs> no jumping in bike lanes either, guys. Like, Ugh. no. Life is always worth living, even if you're struggling. No, but he's just an asshole. Just go away. He is. Would be, just go away. Just go away. Just go a fucking way. Yeah. But yeah, and we also learn in the finale that the godmother has no idea what her husband's name is. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> if that doesn't tell you everything you need to know about the fucking godmother i don't yeah. know what to tell you i don't know what to tell you but yeah the finale is just perfect it's it's literally perfect i have 
There is nothing that I would beg someone to tweak from that finale. It's so good. It is. It is one of the best. So I have to ask you, Jocelyn, which was your least favorite episode? Because, to be honest, I don't have one. (laughs) So you're going to have to carry the water in this one, babe. I don't have a least favorite episode because I really like all of them. Okay. So... I guess I should go back just as a reminder just to say that I enjoy television more as sort of an escape. And and so when there is a character I don't like or an episode I don't like, it doesn't necessarily mean that the person is poorly written or the episode is poorly written or that it's not objectively a good or entertaining episode, but it just means that there are things in it that cause me distress and Mm, and sort of, you know, take me out of my comfort zone and sort of wanting to just sort of be numb and, you know, where you just get sort of a culmination of a lot of people doing shitty things. And it's like, okay, that for me is, is how I landed on what I would describe as my least favorite, but it's for those reasons. It's not that it's Mm. actually a bad episode of television, but Mm -hmm. for me, it's the fucking sexhibition, which is the season. Yeah. The season one finale, I believe. It's just like everyone at their fucking worst. And it, you know, going back to sort of that investment in Fleabag and, you know, wanting nice things for her. And it's, you know, it's it's funny that you mentioned, like, everyone on this show has done horrible things. And, I mean, my God, so has she. Like, she said the terrible things about Jake. But this is also someone who fucked her best friend's boyfriend. Right. Um. So she is not perfect either. But that is sort of a testament to the writing and to Phoebe Waller-Bridges' um, performance. And I think I've been calling her Phoebe Waller-Bridges, like, the whole time, regardless if it's... Yeah, it's just one bridge. But it's like, I watched uh, uh, Different Strokes, so I come from the house of Todd Bridges, so someone's (laughs) name is Bridge. I was wondering. I just think Bridges, like, all right, so... I, I realized I was doing that, but in but just think case, London Bridge, London Bridge, no, just one it, bridge. No, it's Todd Bridge. What you talking about, Willis? So, <laughs> but in this instance, Phoebe Waller Bridges' performance. Uh, bridge. <laughs> no, but it's her performance. Phoebe Waller Bridges' performance. Oh my bad, my bad. So it's possessive. It's it's you know it's Jocelyn's performance, Christine's performance. It's Phoebe Waller's. Let me just say Phoebe's performance to yeah any confusion there. Um, endears you to the character despite the fact that she's done this terrible thing. So personally, there are certain episodes where I just think there's just too much shit piling going on for me to handle, and this exhibition was one of them. I fucking hate the godmother, not because Olivia Coleman isn't amazing, but, you know, she was perfectly horrible in all the best written ways, but just a character who I also wanted to fucking punch in the face. So I can only sort of take her in small doses. In that episode, it's just a lot of the godmother being both an aggressive and a passive-aggressive bitch. It's just a really, it's a good episode, but it's one that just gave me a lot of frustration. I mean, I knew that we were already going to be on the fuck shit when she showed up and, you know, basically the godmother put a sticker on her and said, go, you know, help people. What is she, like, serving cocktails? Yeah, she's serving champagne. You know, which is not exactly something that you would do for, do to people. Like, they had had hired help 
<laughs> to that you know could do that job so it just felt like an extra an added insult um and also claire was able to enjoy this exhibition without having to it wasn't like she put her family to right work. no no exactly it was just fleabag so it was very mm-hmm. deliberate so that's the one i think for me um that it's it's my least favorite but it's not because it's not it's still an entertaining as fuck episode but it's just oh it's peak godmother getting on my last good nerve What's good, y'all? Jocelyn and I are going to pause it here, but we want to thank you for joining us on another episode of I'ma Need More Wine. Join us again next Chatty Wine Wednesday when we wrap up our discussion of the shit we liked and the shit we didn't like about the British television series Fleabag. If you haven't already, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and spread the word about us. We love reading your reviews, so please rate and review us on those podcast directories as well. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at morewinepod and message us with your comments and feedback. You can also email us at morewinepod at gmail.com. Until next week. I was payback for okay. for Jasmine, I guess. For the last time. Oh God! And then when you were texting me about it, I didn't realize it's because it happened. I I completely I told you I was gone by the end, so I completely forgot that it had happened in the episode until I went back and listened. I was like, oh, this actually is so random. Okay, all right, let me let me just do that all over again. Okay. <laughs>